This episode of Converge with my guest, David Dushman, is sponsored by WeaveWriter. For more information, check out WeaveWriter.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things. And when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. The creative life is often disorienting. It can grab you and take you places you didn't know you could go, and it can also depress you and leave you in a pile in the corner. But building a life around creativity, the exhilaration, the, the process, the act of making something new is the kind of thing that many people dream about, they, they prefer, they say they would like to see happen in their life, but they don't actually take it so seriously where they wrap their whole life around it. Well, our guest today is not one of those people. David Duchemin is a friend, photographer, author, artist in many different genres, and someone who I have really grown to appreciate and respect as a friend. And I think as we talk a little bit today about building a life around creativity, committing all into that, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the challenges that come with that, but also hopefully an opening for you as a listener to consider how you're relating with it and maybe a new consideration on how you can do it better. It's really a question of what do you long for and can you or how can you make it sustainable so that you can not only make a a life but make a living. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. David Dishman, welcome to Converge, the business of creativity. Hi, Dane. Nice to be here. I spent the morning before we got here. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about your new book, uh, and we'll get to that in just a moment, A Beautiful Anarchy. But I've also been knee-deep in another book by Mason Curry called Daily Rituals. Are you familiar with that book? I'm not. So he basically, uh, he's like this remarkable researcher, and uh, the author is, and he's gone through and identified 161 people from like Kafka to Trollope to... Karl Marx to Darwin to Picasso to Stravinsky and everyone in between and 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 looking at their daily routines and how they do life uh, and makes these little snippets like sometimes their chapters are like 45 seconds or based on what we know this is how they spent their time and when I think of as I was reading and or listening as I was walking which is part of my daily ritual I I couldn't help but think of you David because you have built a uh, you could easily be in the fray with these people in terms of how you've built your life. You have a remarkable commitment to living out your your art. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit, especially for folks maybe who are less familiar with you and your work, just a little bit about your journey. And uh, we, we, we need to do a concise version of it because I want to get to the, the meat of what <laughs> we're in the middle of. And, and there's so many different directions we could go. So I'm going to be disciplined and try to stay on task here. But can you share a little bit about First of all, if I'm if I'm crazy and you actually aren't committed to these things, <laughs> you can correct me. But it does seem like this is a, a critical kind of center point to your life. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I, well, first of all, no one has ever used the word concise to describe me, so I'll do my best. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it is a commitment. And yet at the same time, I think uh, I wouldn't use the word commitment. I, I see it more as a recognition of, of who I am at my core and the things that I long for and desire and, and am uh, in my deepest parts, less than kind of a a thing I need to commit to. Um, now, certainly the daily practices are very often things I need to commit to. So, you know, it's a question of, of who am I and how do I how do I work that out in, in a practical daily way? Um, so the commitment, I think, is is certainly there. It just really helps that I love what I do. And if I were if I were not doing this, I would do everything I could in order to do this. So it's a little <laughs> to, to call it commitment. You know, I think people that go and, and dig ditches every day, get up every morning at six to go to work and, and do a you know so-called real job. Um, that to me is, is something I would really have to commit to because it doesn't come from a place of longing. Mm. But uh, in terms of my journey, I've had a very, um, should we call it circuitous <laughs> journey, kind of a, <laughs> a zigzag. You know, I did, I did five years after high school, not really knowing where I was going to, going to end up. I did five years in, uh, in theology school in, in the Canadian prairies and, uh, leaving there, of course, did what every theology school graduate does and went straight into a, a career in stand up comedy, um, which left pre- pretty much everyone in my life scratching their head because I, I was never the type to stand up on stage or public speaking did not come naturally to me, remotely terrified me, in fact. But somewhere along the line, I started doing the things that, that you know, leaning into the fear and um, and doing these things. And one day I woke up in the middle of a 12-year career in stand-up comedy and kind of shaking my head going, how did that happen? And then at the end of that, somewhere again along the way some there were rumblings in my in my innermost being and uh, and I was starting to feel discontent I was starting to feel like I don't want to play a character anymore this was good while I was I was a young man um, I traveled around I had an agent in Nashville and and things were going very well and I enjoyed it I loved making a thousand or three thousand people in a seated auditorium just laugh their guts out there's there's something healing and and human about that uh, but again, I was on the stage as a character, and uh, I really longed to be behind the camera instead of in front of the camera. And I'd been a photographer since I was 14 years old, but it had sort of been that thing that I did on the sidelines. It was kind of my the thing that the thing that kept me sane. And and one day I was asked to go down to Haiti and visit a, a project there, um, ostensibly to to represent them as a comedian. But uh, on my way down, before I went, they asked me if I would make some photographs for me. I guess they sort of did did their due diligence and and wanted to make sure I wasn't some creep. And in searching for me online, they found that I was doing this photography on on the side as a passionate amateur. And they said, "Would you make some photographs for us?" And I tell you what, Dane, I got down there and I probably I probably shot 12 frames hmm. and 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 my life just turned on a dime. And I went this this is the next chapter. I, I feel it in my bones. I know it. Um, it fits in. You know, I'd been entertaining children. And my show was a family show. And so to transition into making photographs for humanitarian organizations, uh, photographing families and children that that needed advocacy, that needed their stories told, that needed um, some kind of participation from people that had resources that they didn't and literally on a uh, turned on a dime and uh, probably it was a year and a half later that I stepped off the stage for the last time 
and since then have been working uh, in terms of client work, working for humanitarian organizations like World Vision and Save the Children, that sort of thing, and was doing that quite happily and successfully until uh, the spring of 2011 when teaching photography in Italy, I fell off a, a 30-foot wall and uh, like a like a ninja landed on my feet mm. uh, and then crumpled into a ball, uh, <laughs> having, uh, having shattered both my feet, cracked my pelvis, and spent 40 days and 40 nights, if there's not something biblical in that, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what there is, uh, in the hospital. And sort of considering where I was going to go next. This was clearly going to change my life in, in some way. But, you know, I had deadlines, I had books to write still and, and that sort of thing and uh, recovery to do. And life kind of has a way of keeping us occupied and, and we do our art, whatever that is, in the context of these ups and downs and rhythms of life. We don't do it, you know, when life gets back on track because I'm not sure life is ever quite on track. You know, our, our biggest constraint in creating our art is that we do it as, as messy human beings in the middle of sort of a, a very unpredictable life. And that kind of brings us up to the present. I'm, I uh, am just releasing the, the latest book and for the first time uh, since I started writing, uh, releasing a book that is really conspicuously not for photographers. It is for creatives of every kind, including the people that don't yet know they're creative, the ones that always say to me, oh, I'm not, I'm not really creative because I think that's a bunch of baloney. I think everyone's creative. Wow. It's, uh, I remember that day when you fell when you fell uh, in Europe and I was, I think I was actually with Zach Arias that day randomly. And we both, there's this kind of overwhelming sense of like, Oh my gosh, this can't, this, you know, what's going on. And, and it was dramatic and, and really grateful that, that you're more than on the mend and, and still contributing it. And I, I'm, I'm really struck as you're articulating this, as you put it, circuitous existence, you picked up some skills along the way. I mean, from, Someone who is a deep thinker, uh, studying theology and then translating that into, you know, putting words around ideas to cause effect in an audience. You know, that's that's a massive skill set. You've been writing for a long time, and uh, I love your books. In fact, you wrote the forward to my first book, uh, Fast Track Photographer. I did. And uh, I've been a fan ever since I first picked up Vision Mongers, and I think Zach put me onto that too, actually. And and when I think about all of the skill sets that you've picked up along the way, it, it seems like they're building on each other. Like, it, and I don't want to put words in your mouth when I say that. I'm wondering if that's your experiences as you have these milestone shifts that happen, and you still carry these capacities with you along the along these milestones. It, it seems like, you know, all the while you are teaching, you are creating, you are writing, you are presenting ideas. That's never, never not been the case, but you're doing it in such a more robust way now because of the, your history and skill set. Talk a little bit about how that has shifted for you. And, and for the listener, I'm curious if you have any insight on how someone, you know, anywhere on their journey of picking up skills might want to think about relating with those skills in a way that would be most helpful. Yeah, I, I, you know, this, this paradigm that, uh, that I've been sort of playing with, and I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm creating this paradigm so much as it's teaching itself to me, the, this notion of uh, the creative life, the created life, at the very core of that is the belief that, that we are the first 
were sort of our first act of creation. Um, and, and when I say that, I, it, it's more a collaborative effort between us and life and, you know, whatever other forces are out there. Um, but we we evolve and we, we one thing affects us and how we react to it positively or negatively sort of has this cumulative effect. We, we become who we are as a result of everything that happens in life. And so, you know, I mean, you, you fall off a wall or you have a car accident or, or someone is maybe you're, you know, you yourself, you, you're diagnosed with, with cancer or something. And, and the, the question is, um, you know, how, how is this going to contribute to the person, the, the creation that I am, that I am becoming? And then, of course, you know, from that more, hopefully more robust person, what is my contribution to this to this world in the brief time that I have here? How can I make a difference? How can I bring love and light and, and something positive to the people around me? And and that just is, you know, you look inside and go, what have I got? It's kind of like going, going hiking and being faced with, you know, uh, inclement weather or an emergency. I, you just, you, you pull everything out of your bag and go, what, what is at my disposal and, and what's useful? And as those things at your disposal, those skill sets, your, your craft, as those increase, you have you have more potentially to contribute. And that's not always the case. I think people respond to things in life the other way and, and become embittered and, and entitled and, and hurt and wounded. And, you know, there's this great quote from Madeleine Langell that um, she had this book that was very instrumental for me called Walking on Water. And it's sort of reflections on, on life and uh, art and faith not specific one specific faith or another just how really i think at the core of her book she was talking about how we relate as uh in our sort of deepest parts what we believe and that sort of thing with with what we create um and she says you know the and i sort of roughly paraphrased her at one point in, in this book a beautiful anarchy that as we as we live things happen to us and we are wounded but very often it's the way we react to those wounds that reaction is more grievous than the initial injury you know when we when we fall in love and are are heartbroken and we erect a wall that says never again that that act of raising that interior interior wall and saying I, i'm going to protect my heart um that is a deeper wound that prevents us from being human in a, a more substantial way than that initial and quite in many ways quite temporary uh heartache, you know, that caused it. And so, you know, I, I look at everything that we do really as a choice. Uh, the circumstances certainly are not a choice, but but the way that we respond, what we choose to do with those things is. And so, you know, for, for people listening, I think the first question often, I mean, never mind, uh, for me, the first question is, what do you want with your life? What do you want to do? And I think if you're really willing to listen, I, I have this sort of idea in my mind, it's called the want box. And you don't put your desires into this want box. The, the want box is a, and that's a cheesy name, I know, but in my mind, it's a, it's a something that's already there. You open it up. And if you have the courage to look deep into the darker corners of it, what are my true desires and longings? Because I think those are a reflection of who we are. They will reflect what our gifts and our talents are and what we're good at and the areas in which we will make the greatest contribution and, and where it relates to being like a solopreneur and that sort of thing. That also is where you will find your area of greatest value to the world. That's 
that what can I contribute? That is where we bring value to the world and that will be what we leverage to create a sustainable kind of um, way of living around our creativity. Wow, that was long, huh? Well, hey, <laughs> you're giving me plenty of fodder uh, and a lot of directions to go, and I appreciate it because there's. It's funny. Uh, I I don't want this to sound uh, anyway, but plainly when I say this, it's it's amazing to me every time we have a chance to reconnect, David. How much there really is a uh, you know we have very different circumstances that play out, but uh, the thoughts that we're engaging seem very complementary. And the um, that happened the first time I read Vision Mongers and pretty much everything since, and, and this conversation is no exception. And it's interesting as you're describing this notion of looking inside, I guess I have, again, a two-part question. The first one has to do with how important is it for creatives and entrepreneurs? And, you know, this this podcast is really about the convergence of creativity and possibility of monetizing that creativity if you want to. So I guess the, the question I have is both for the entrepreneur and also for the creative, how important is a growing self-awareness in that process? And then a second part to that question, actually, I'll save the second part and we'll, we'll go from there. So how important is self-awareness through this, this process? Well, I think it's extremely important. Now, not everyone is going to uh, leverage that, the power of that self-awareness, but I think the more you understand who you are, one that the, I think the, the more content you will be, because this is not just about being creative and making money at it. This is also about creating a life of, of significant meaning. This is about, if you have to put it in these terms, being happy and, and satisfying those longings. It's for me, it's about going to my, uh, my eventual end and being, should I have the luxury of a deathbed, um, being there with no regrets and being able to look back and go, wow, what a, what a story. I have have lived and feeling good about the contribution that I've made in changing people's lives in in some way. So I I think I think that comes out of self-awareness. Now, there are some people who are a little bit more perhaps introspective than others. Some people maybe are are self-aware just kind of intuitively. Others kind of have to dig through it a little bit more. But I'm not sure that you can you can create uh, art or a life of meaning without without being self-aware, without understanding who you are and, and what you have to contribute to the world and what you want to, to say, you know, I mean, art is not to keep quoting people, but Anne Lamott said art to be art, you know, must point at something. And I think there's much more to art than merely pointing, but we do say something with our, with our art. And, and so you have to have something to say. And I, and I can't imagine just, not being aware of what that thing you want to say is. So that self-awareness, I think, is is truly, truly important. Whether you do so, you know, happily or, or somewhat neurotically, like, you know, Woody Allen. I don't know many artists who don't have an element of that introspection in their lives. I've been uh, spending a lot of time lately with Cal Newport's work, uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You. And I don't know if you're, are you familiar with that book at all? Have you heard of it? Yeah, I am. I haven't read it, but I'm 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 familiar with it. Yeah. So so for those who aren't familiar, if you're listening, the idea so good they can't ignore you. That was actually a quote from a Charlie Rose interview with Steve Martin, where Steve Martin was asked, "So what advice would you give to a young stand-up comic?" And his advice was, "Well, get so good they can't ignore you." And mm. and uh, and he goes on. Actually, makes a, a rather robust case for uh, this is the author not pursuing a life of passion but actually pursuing a craftsman mindset, 
where uh, you really make the the fickle passions of our days less significant compared to the more gritty work of getting good at something. And uh, and again, I don't want to butcher his thesis here. I just want to give a quick context for my question. When you think about making that life of meaning that you're describing, I'm curious if you have a resonance with my brief synopsis of Cal Newport or around really leaning into the craft and or, because it doesn't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive, how do passions relate with that process? Where, where, where are they helpful and where don't they help? Well, I think one, there, there are different kinds of kinds of passions, you know, sort of majors and minors and, and, but I, I don't see this as an, I don't see this as two incompatible paradigms. In fact, what I would hesitate to endorse is either uh, the life of a craftsman divorced from some deeper passion or the other way around having, having a great deal of passion and not the discipline to pursue you know, the road toward mastery in some sort of, some sort of craft writing or, or photography or whatever that is. Um, I, I truly believe in excellence. I truly believe that the idea of being so good, they can't ignore you is, uh, is solid. I, you know, if you are deeply passionate about something, giving the best shot you can give at it to go out into the world and, and be whatever you hope for it to be is to be truly excellent at your craft. And so there, I don't think there's any excuse for, you know, for slacking and just kind of expecting the work to come into being on its own uh, in anything but mediocrity. If you want excellence, you need to work at it and you need to be good at it. And, and that, that takes discipline and it takes work, but, but I cannot imagine doing that separate from a, a an underwriting passion you know that that one is the machine and the other is the fuel that powers it one without the other doesn't seem um doesn't seem helpful you have a new book called a beautiful anarchy and you you know that that word anarchy <laughs> you're careful at the beginning of the book to define your terms but give people a little context for what your your aim is with with this work yeah, I, it, you're right. The word anarchy certainly comes with some baggage, and and I I'm a big believer in the power of words. I'm also a big believer in the fact that language is kind of organic, and we can co-opt uh, words and and make them make them fit um, our meaning in in new ways. Um, and I think it's always been that way. And so I I, I wrestled with the idea, but uh, the title comes from a blog post I wrote a while ago about being. Uh, an artist about being creative and about living outside of the rules because I think and when I say artist really you could substitute the word human being I, I don't think that we're really splitting hairs over what is and is not art or artistry I, th I think you know living a really great life is is art as well um, but I, I think any time that we create anything of significance, whether we're an inventor, a researcher, a, um, an artist in the classical sense, uh, we are operating in the, the realm of the unknown. And because we're uncovering the hidden, because we're operating with a great deal of uncertainty, uh, necessarily, it's it's not sort of a, oh, geez, today, you know, today I'm op operating in uncertainty. No, we, we always operate in uncertainty because otherwise it's a path that's already been trod. We're not creating something new. We're just, you know, doing something else. And, and the reason that, that I embrace this kind of idea of anarchy is because if you're on unknown territory, then then the rules per se don't 
don't apply. How, how can the, it's, it's like saying that you have to follow a map when you, you you're in an area that has by definition not been mapped. So any map that you try to follow is is going to be distracting at best and, and harmful or sabotaging at worst. So the idea really is um, is a respectful, uh, loving disregard for for the rules and and looking first inside ourselves and saying what do i want and then saying okay how can i accomplish that life and what are the unconventional ways of doing so do i do i follow the crowd or or do i do it my way and uh and i think people are afraid of doing it my way because it's uh, one, it often comes off as selfish, and and I address that in the book because I think, you know, we've taken the word selfish to to mean something so um, so negative. When in fact, if we tend to our own garden first, uh, we'll have much better fruit. Um, I truly, truly believe that, and I, I believe, you know, even as far as kind of a a religious ethic, if if when if when Christ said, you know, love yourself as you love uh, love others as you love yourself, I, I truly believe that loving yourself in a in a humble uh, respectful um kind of kind of way is is central to all of this um and then from that position living living life in 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 uncertainty and i guess that's what i'm getting to is the reason where we prefer the rules is because they offer a feeling an illusion of safety and when you operate outside of them, it just becomes this great big what if, which I think is the core question for all creatives. What if? We don't know. We're, we are always uncertain. But operating in that space where we are kind of hanging in the void and waiting to see what happens next, though a little more scary than operating by rules and scripts and patterns that we've we've learned consciously or unconsciously uh, i think results in in better art and because our art first transforms us before it transforms others or at least the process does um we become i think more interesting deeper people we if if to use the paradigm of, of story we living a deeper story and, and taking the, the protagonist of that story through uncharted territory is a much more rewarding story, even though there are times when we're not sure the protagonist is going to make it out alive. Would it be fair to say that a beautiful anarchy is an invitation to, or really a philosophy of, of getting the good life as a creative? I, I think so. You know, I, I, it's funny because in my mind when I started this, it was kind of a, a manifesto. And I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek because I'm not sure what business a 42-year-old has, you know, writing a manifesto. But um, others have done it before, and, and why not me? So I, I was thinking this would be a manifesto about uh, the creative life. It would be written for photographers and writers and that sort of thing. And, and the book it certainly is. But the more I wrote it, the more I realized I'm not writing about the creative process. I am writing about the larger process of, of being. Uh, it's, it is a book about life. And the my basic premise, I think, is that as in the same way that we create a piece of art, we can intentionally create a good life for ourselves, whatever whatever that means for us. And the definition of a good life will differ from person to person, but I think the the principles that we embrace along the way are are very similar because 
Uh, there's there's commonalities and differences between every human being, and part of those commonalities are just this life. You know, we all experience ups and downs. We all experience some some beautiful joys and some tragic defeats, and and they're very similar, if not you know the exact color. Then certainly the cut of the fabric is very similar. You know, there's been a number of times in this conversation where you have juxtaposed doing and being and, you know, identity and activity, or even, I love the metaphor you used about, you know, um, if you're going to want to give away a lot of fruit, you better tend to your own garden first. Mm. And you may not give it away. You may hoard it, uh, but that's a different conversation than whether or not you tend your garden, which again has a huge resonance for me. But, but I'd like to kind of live in this tension for a minute around being or identity I am and how that interrelates with the activity that, that one does and, you know, both how it promotes becoming something more good <laughs> or less good and how, how those play out. And, and in particular, I want to reference something that um, I actually wrote recently, this, this article called uh, the elephant in the room, the death of photography, uh, long live the creative, this notion of a skill set, And in particular, I make the case in brief, and we'll put this, the link in the show notes, if people are interested uh, in brief. We, I made the case that photography in particular is like uh, what boxing used to be. And uh, heavyweight boxing, that was a sport that for an extended season, everyone knew who the champion was, who the heavyweight champion of the world was. And and then for whatever reason, as the world has evolved, new things have, have presented themselves, like, for example, example, mixed martial arts, where all of a sudden no one can remember, unless they look it up on Wikipedia, who the current reigning champion is of heavyweight boxing. But boxing hasn't gone away. Boxing became a skill set that was now part of a bigger conversation. And now MMA becomes this remarkably different and fascinating and crazy popular sport that incorporates boxing, but now expands to take other crazy unorthodox skill sets and integrate them uh, in a way that is far more entertaining, but also seems more athletic, more holistic. And I use that as a metaphor to say, you know, photographers... Uh, it used to be that photography was it, and uh, like heavyweight boxing, and yet now it seems like photography is a texture uh, that can be applied by creatives in a number of fields. And I'm not suggesting that that folks can't specialize in photography, certainly, but I'm also suggesting that adding other skill sets really contribute to a bigger person. It makes them better able to, you know, breathe out, but also to breathe in. And it seems like those kinds of ideas. Um, you're someone who I would have in mind when I think about this unorthodox creative who's taking on skills and it's making them a bigger person. And I'm wondering, do any of these thoughts integrate at all with what you're trying, the case you're trying to make with beautiful anarchy? Absolutely. In fact, I'd say they're sort of um, uh, foundational, I think. Um, and by the way, the, the article was fantastic. I read it and recommended it to a lot of people. I think I think it's something people need to, to hear. I think we're on sort of the... Just with with all, all the technical advances that we have right now, and and the opportunity that the internet affords us, and and the the fact that the gatekeepers are, for the most part, the gatekeepers have disappeared on a lot of these significant means of of getting our art into the world. Yeah. Um, it, it is it's it's not about what one should or should not do. In fact, that's that is what I sort of am preaching hard against in this book. It's about it's about possibility. What are the possibilities? There's great possibility in being 
good as a photographer that people can't ignore you and only doing photography only doing black and white portrait photography for you know whatever and and not blogging and not i mean you can be so good at that that there is a satisfying meaningful and yes lucrative life built around that or you can ask yourself because perhaps you have a touch of you know ADD you can ask yourself what possibilities lie in me being more of a renaissance personality where I I learn several things and I dig deep into blogging and in you know I mean you Dane you're you're you've dug it deep into this audio stuff and and right and going broad with it and saying, okay, how can I tell the story in as many different ways as possible? Um, I don't think it's really about one being better than the other. I think it's a question of what's your, what are you inclined to do? What do you want to do? For me, I don't, I don't want when I am not traveling. I don't want to walk around Vancouver with my camera for the most part. Uh, I want to walk around with my laptop and sit in a cafe or sit at a, a place with a glass of wine and write um, or express myself in other ways and, and pursue my creativity as an entrepreneur. I, I really, truly believe that business should be an act of creativity in as much as writing or, or uh, cooking a great meal or anything, you know, anything else that's traditionally seen as creative. So, I, I, yeah, I think those those thoughts are absolutely foundational. And ultimately, for me to get back to sort of one of the things that, that you started this this last question with, um, I, I really don't see a difference between who we are and what we do. I, I think the two are part of a sort of cause and effect cycle in our lives that who we are affects what we do, what we do affects who we are. And, and it's sort of this vortex when your life is sort of aligned with some momentum and, and in the direction of the things you really, truly long for and are good at, that vortex kind of spirals upward and gains speed and power and, and and when it's sort of when it's reversed, I think it sort of cannibalizes itself, turns inward, and we we become victims, and and our lives lose that momentum and that power to change things, and ultimately, uh, that's where we become dissatisfied. And you know, it's so I, I don't see a, a difference between who we are and what we do, and so as a result, I think. Um, in terms of paradigm, if you are the kind of person that wants to do one thing really well, you want to play violin like no one else has played violin. I mean, I don't see Yo-Yo Ma suddenly deciding, you know, I, I'm not going to just do cello anymore. I'm going to break out and, you know, I'm going to play the the drums and I'm going to go, I'm going to start blogging about cellos and I might even, but he might. And, and it's really not a question of, oh, he shouldn't have done that. He should do this. Um, it's a question of who are you and what do you long to do? I mean, when I was a comedian, my identity was wrapped up in being my stage name was the rubber chicken guy. And my identity was entirely wrapped up in that. And it was it was a, in some ways an immense kind of effort to switch that flip the switch in my brain that says, OK, that is not who you are anymore. But I recognized there was something in me that just wanted to do something else. And there's no reason in the world why, I mean, maybe five years from now, I decide photography is not the thing that I'm going to give my greatest attention to. That's okay. You know, it's really a question of what do you long for? And can you, I think, especially if you have a family, can you, or how can you make it sustainable so that you can not only make a a life, but make a living? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny as you're talking uh... The, the character that came to mind was uh, Henry Cartier-Bresson and his kind of on-again, off-again relationship with photography, uh, clearly a master. 
yet not hindered by a genre. And when he shifted to drawing for, you know, extended years uh, and, and actually start, I think he labeled photography at one point, like expedited drawing <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, that kind of a response. And I, I guess, I mean, this isn't a new idea of who you are carries wherever you go, but how you play that out is dynamic. Is that, is that a fair estimation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. So, you know, this is not your first uh, rodeo when it comes to writing. You've been writing for a long time over at craftandvision.com. And like you say, you, you spent a lot of time specifically around uh, creativity with camera. And now you're inviting people to a, a bigger conversation. I love how you put it as a manifesto because that's how it reads. It, it feels like this, this big open door for people to reconsider how they're doing and, and how they're being. As you've reflected on the evolution of your writing, I'm curious... Is there an arc there? Like, are you seeing a, like, I think of guys like Seth Godin, who has written prolifically in so many different directions, well, so many different great books, but it's really the same book packaged in new ways. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> and and I, I think he would agree with that. And I think he would say, mm. yeah, you know, you need to bring a new, if you really care about the big idea, uh, you need to add facets to it. So it'll, it'll add brilliance, you know, like a diamond. So I wonder if, if for you, there, if there was one big idea that you've been trying to bring out over the years, especially as you look back on it, because you know so much of this is discovery, whether it be through talking about making a photograph or, or making a life, uh, what, what is that one thing? It's funny, Dan. That's a that's a really great question. And and when you first asked me, I thought, oh my gosh, I I have no idea. But it it I, I, just kind of this like little epiphany of of clarity came then the reality i think is that i too am uh am writing the same not writing the same book over and over but addressing the same themes there, there we go um and and i think that theme uh that most people familiar with my writing would agree that theme is vision and in my photography uh though each book that i've written has addressed it in different ways and talked about different aspects of of that it is about for me photography is about uh what is your vision and how do you express that through the tools available to you in the photographic language both with the camera and composition and and that sort of thing and i I would uh if i were pressed i would argue that this book and this paradigm is just the same thing on a much um, more macro scale the 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 question is what is the vision for your life for your legacy Um, what is the thing that you long to express and how given given the the growing skill set of, you know, that's inherent in who we are and who we're becoming. Um, how do I express that? And not how should I do it, but how do I want to do it? How do I long to do it? And I've, I've railed against this idea. You know, a lot of my students will, will ask me questions like, you know, what lens should I use? And I say, I have no frigging idea <laughs> because I don't, that's like a painter saying what, and I, their hearts are good. They, it's not a stupid question. It's just a, not a very interesting question um, or helpful. The more interesting question is, what do you want to say? Like, what do you long to say? And then what's the best tool for it? And you may not know. Maybe you try one lens and that doesn't work. And so then you try another and then you go back to the first and, and then you realize, oh, actually, it's a third lens and I need to change my point of view on this photograph to get what I really... And suddenly it comes into play. Creativity is messy. It's not just a question of, well, put the right lens on, point it here, and, and you've got your shot. And if it is, I, I worry that 
you know, I, I've said before, sterile processes lead to sterile art. And I don't think sterile art resonates with anyone because we, we as human beings resonate much more with, with struggle. And I don't, I don't mean, you know, the berated, beleaguered artist who's suffering in a gutter somewhere. I just mean honest, authentic, uh, vulnerable struggle and recognizing that. And I think that's the creative process too. We have ups, we have downs, there's a flow and a rhythm. And, and if you can recognize that, you'll be a lot happier. But ultimately, to answer your question, I think the overriding message is, is what is your vision? The importance of vision in our lives is is paramount because like the, the scene in Alice in Wonderland when Alice says to the Cheshire cat, you know, which road do I take? And the cat says, well, where are you going? And she says, I don't know. And he said, in that case, you know, they'll all get you there. <laughs> um, if if you don't, you know, if you don't have a sense of where you want to go, how do you lab- how do you order the small changes in your life? How do you, um, how do you order the, the disciplines in your life, um, the small steps that you're going to take? How do you even give meaning to the things that you create? If it's just sort of a random grab bag of, I don't know, let's, you know, let's try this, let's try that. We, I, I'm all in favor of experimentation and let's try this and let's try that. Um, I do a lot of four by fouring. And one of my favorite things is when someone on the CB says, you know, hang on, I want to try something. And you know, it's always going to be expensive. And, uh, you know, you hope to God they have their seatbelt on. And I love that idea. I love the idea of creatives kind of just going, I'm going to try something. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. But unless I think unless it's driven by a purpose, unless there's a vision there for I'm going to try this crazy thing because I think it's going to get me into a new place of discovery or expression or I, I don't know where it comes from. You know, I don't, I don't know what it is that motivates and fuels us as as humans unless we have a vision for what our life is going to going to look like in the end. You know, it's uh, it's all about intention. I use the word intention a lot in in this book because I really believe that we are all going to get at some point whether we have time to reflect on our lives, uh, you know, the, the lives that we've lived or not, we will all get to a point where this is all over, where life will seem like it has just gone by in such a blur. And the, we know through, you know, I mean, most recently, the, the five regrets of the dying have has been kind of all over Facebook and the internet. And we know what it is that commonly the human race wishes they had done differently, or at least in our culture, what are the regrets of, of people that are most like us? And there, there are things like, I, I didn't allow myself to be happy. I didn't do the things I wanted to do. I didn't say the things I wanted to say, and I didn't love the people in my life um, unreservedly and without, you know, without reservation. Um, we know those things. So why not as soon as we are able to why not live a life to intentionally get to the end without those regrets? Not because we're fearful of the regrets, but because we just long for those experiences that we're going to regret not having at the end. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And I think it makes sense for a lot of folks who are listening. And my invitation for you guys is to go check out a beautifulanarchy.com, a beautifulanarchy.com. You can see, uh, everything that is bundled up with this great book, uh, When the Life Creative Becomes the Life Created by David Dushman. David, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was episode 024 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. Convergepodcast.com is our home where you'll find past episodes, our Better Together creativity community, and a ton of other resources for artists looking to make a difference with their creations. 
Music today provided by TripleScoopMusic.com. Sound as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quaza at Acreative.co for her audio production. And a special thanks to David for being with us. Visit him at DavidDushiman.com. As usual, I also want to thank you for spreading the word about the show. When you leave questions and comments on the site and rate us on places like iTunes, we recognize that you caring enough to do that sort of thing is a really big deal, and we're grateful. That's it for now. I'm Dane Sanders. I'll see you here next time.